The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. David Mathis said this, Few practices will energize and affect your Christian life as much as sitting attentively under faithful preaching. Preaching is that one half hour each week or more when the assembly of the redeemed closes her collective mouth, opens her ears and heart, and hears the uninterrupted voice of her husband through his appointed mouthpiece, fallible though the messenger be. Paul here is speaking of the wonderful grace he received from God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. How many believe tonight if God uses us to minister, it's by His grace that He does so? In other words, we don't deserve to be servants. Uh, We should not be puffed up when God uses us. We should not think that it's because, you know, uh, we're somebody that God has selected to use us. Uh, God chooses and calls in a way that brings Him glory, different individuals for preaching and teaching. If you listen to preaching on a regular basis, this will help you tonight. If you preach and God has called you, we have several here for that, what preaching is about, what the purpose of preaching is. Sometimes I think we lose that as we preach or we think about what the purpose of preaching is. But Paul here, he's addressing the church at Ephesus and us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says this in verse number 7, I was made a minister. According to the grace of God, given to me by the effectual working of His power, this grace, verse 8, given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. How many thankful that we get to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? That's a wonderful blessing that God has given to us. In other parts of the worship service, we have an opportunity to respond and participate but it's the spiritual discipline of preaching that quiets us and causes us to only receive and focus on the Word of God. How many know that there is something about sitting and listening to the preached Word of God that is important? God has called us as a body to put ourselves regularly underneath the preaching of the Word of God. When we make it a habit to put ourselves into the position of listening, and I'm saying that tonight because sometimes we can sit and not listen. We can sit and there's noise, but we're not really uh, being attentive to what's being said. Not that it's important that you listen to an individual, although God has called individuals to lead in the body of Christ and called us to submit to that leadership. But the important part of someone speaking is that they're speaking the Word of God. They're not coming with another revelation or kind of some special mystical uh, thing. They're not adding to the Word of God nor taking away, but preaching the Word of God, instant, the Bible says, in season and out of season. And when we put ourselves underneath the preaching of God's Word, we're not only being obedient to God, we're putting ourselves in the position to have a renewed and adjusted perspective. And that's important. How many need, sometimes you just need a new perspective? Sometimes we don't see things the way that we should. And sometimes God uses a message to give us a, a renewed perspective on what God is doing. Not necessarily that you're hearing something that you never heard before. If you hear something that you never heard before, it's maybe maybe a red light. You know, we're not preaching something that's not in the Bible. We're saying something. A lot of it is reminders of what we already know. Now, if you're a new believer, maybe you're hearing it afresh for for the first time. But I don't think, many of you tonight, that this is the first message you've heard from the book of Ephesians. So what does that mean? That means God wants us to renew our perspective when it comes to His work in our lives. 
And when it comes to the grace of preaching, it's equally important that the messenger is prepared to deliver God's word and that the church is prepared to receive God's word. If you don't have your hands up, I've said this before, but receptivity is important. If I throw a ball and your hands are not up, you're not ready to catch it, you're not going to get anything. Receptivity is important. How many understand that with antennas? Okay, receptivity is important. I need to be on the receiving side. I need to be able to hear what's being said. There are a lot of things that affect our receptivity. How many have ever been distracted? All right, some of you tonight were struggling with that. Distraction, all of us struggle with it on some level. And we often can be distracted by things that are less important than what the God's Word is wanting to say to us. The devil's subtle. He knows, listen, trip, trip you up, you're here. And sometimes we are comforted in the fact that we show, showed up and we're present, but we're not receptive to what God wants to do. I think revival can happen if the church would be receptive to it. Revival could happen if the church would be receptive to it. In other words, I, I believe that it's, it's, it's possible. I believe that God wants to have me as a part of that. I believe that God needs to make a change in my own life. And a lot of times we're thinking about the changes that need to be made in our world, but we're not thinking about the changes that need to be made in our own hearts. With me tonight? We, We come and we think there's a lot of things in the world that need to change. What about the things in your heart that need to change? Sometimes we focus on things we have no power to change, and we ignore the things we have power to change. God has given us instruction in His Word. How many know there's some things that could change in your life if you just obeyed God? It could change some things. But how many know that? And yet, like me, sometimes, boy, I say, I say this sometimes, God, I know that I need to change this, and I intend to do it. And then how many like me, sometimes you just don't? Things, you get busy, and you don't make the changes that you need to make, and you know the changes that need to happen in order for you to be more healthy in your relationship with God. And so, when it comes to the grace of preaching, it's equally important to the messenger, that the messenger is prepared. How many expect when somebody gets up to preach a message that they're prepared? How many that's your expectation, that they're prepared? Should the pastor be equally expectant that the people coming to receive the message are as equally prepared as he is? Is that, is that, is that fair? I mean, I think sometimes we expect that the person that is preaching is full of the Spirit. Could you imagine if everybody listening was also full of the Spirit? What could happen as a result of that? And boy, if worship happened and we weren't just droning through, and I'm not saying that's what we do, but I want to remind you tonight so we can make an adjustment. Sometimes we're familiar to the routine of services and the schedule of how we go through services. And that's just as much for those that craft and lead our services tonight as it is for those that sit and participate in the services. Don't put it on autopilot. Don't let it be that when we come in, we're not thinking, God, what do you want to do as we sing this song? God, as we take this offering, as we pray, as we engage one another. God, what do you want to do through this? How do you want to impact me? What is it about me that you want to change? Let's talk about first in in the, uh, the grace of preaching here in this passage, the character of the preacher, the character of the preacher. Uh, Here, not pursuing a platform, but the pleasure of Christ. Paul is saying, verse number one, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's saying, verse number eight, I'm less than the least. He's saying, verses 15 through 21, I am uh, hopeful and prayerful for the church. And he's not pursuing a platform, but he is embracing his calling. In other words, I'm not looking to lift myself up, but I am not afraid 
to do what God told me to do. I mean, there's a balance that's there. Not trying to lift myself up. Paul said, I'm not trying to lift myself up in doing the job that God's called me to do. But at the same time, I'm not afraid to stand up and do what God's told me to do. I need to have boldness. I need to have confidence. I need to act in the power of God. And there's a balance that's there. And sometimes uh, we, we, we fail in that balance. Not pursuing a platform, but notice his pursuit is the pleasure of Christ. It pleases God when we do what he calls us to do. And God has called pastors and teachers to the church for the perfecting the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And by the way, that is the job. To perfect, mature the saints to do the work of the ministry, to edify the body of, of Christ. And that is something we shouldn't take lightly. And that's something that we need to be faithful to as a body. Uh, we need to be hooked on Jesus Christ. Notice he says, I'm a prisoner, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He's hooked on Christ. Verse number eight, he's less than the least. He's humbled by the calling that God has given him. Matthew said this preaching that goes on and on about the preacher himself who is always angling at how the hearer should apply this or that to daily life, does so at the expense of tapping into the very power of preaching. Namely this, a preoccupation with Jesus Christ. In other words, the point of preaching is that we would not be preoccupied with ourselves, but that we would be preoccupied with Jesus. The point of preaching is not to point to me or to point to you. The point of preaching is to point to Jesus. In other words, the faster we get to Jesus, the better. Are you with me? The faster we get to Christ, the better. And a lot of times, listen, I know and I, I, I'm thankful for those that are gifted to tell stories. But God didn't call us to craft and tell stories. God called us to preach the word of God. Uh, preaching is not just funny jokes and illustrations and, and you know, kind of stories that pull people in one direction and, and create drama. God save us from preaching that is just read a verse and then get to what I want to say or get to my story or get to my experience. God help us to get back to a desire for preaching that is not about the preacher, but is that about Jesus Christ? It's about the word of God. That is what God calls us to do, to preach the word. And the big word in that, in that phrase, in that command is the word, not the preach. Sometimes we make it more about our preaching than we do about the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be preeminent in a message when it's being preached. And again, if you preach, if you teach, if God has called you in that capacity and you have an opportunity to do that, it's not about what you want to say. It's about what the Word of God actually does say. And that's why it's important for us to get in the Word of God and see what does the Word of God actually say. There's amazing things that come from messages where uh, people go to the text with a, with a predisposed idea about what the text says, and then pull from the text something that is not in context. And they make it say something that it doesn't even say. That is a dangerous thing for you to do as a believer. To be so mystical about the Bible that when you read something, you think somehow God is trying to send you this message that he's not sending anybody else. God is sending us all the same message. Are you with me? The Bible's not for private interpretation. If God is saying something, he's saying it to all of us. He, he had a time where he revealed things to apostles and prophets. And you know what? That was the time when the Bible was being inspired. But we don't need another inspiration. We need to preach what has already been inspired and preserved for us. And that is the word of God. This is a miracle, is it not? This is a miracle. And we need to study the word of God and rightly divide it. 
Notice he's hooked on Christ. He's humbled by the calling. He's hopeful for the church. Verses 15 through 21, he says, For this cause I bow my knees. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. Notice what he wants here. His desire for the church to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. There's, there's, a, there's a direction for this, and that leads us to number two. The, number one, the character of the preacher. Number two, the content of the preaching. The content of the preaching. The character not pursuing a platform, but the pleasure of Christ. The content of the preaching, not longer lists, but a deeper love. You've heard that before from me. It's something that God has really helped me with. But the content of the preaching, not longer lists, but a deeper love. That's why we need to get Jesus to Jesus faster. Because Christ is not coming to give us a longer list. He he wants us to fall in love with him. Again and again, I don't know about you, but the gospel causes me to fall in love with Jesus. We love him because he what? Do you know that God loves you? Are you convinced of his love? Do you know that he, he loves you in the way that he loves you? He says in verse number 8 that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship, the mystery. He says that might be known, verse 10, by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. The content of the preaching, verse number 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, preaching doesn't have to seek the lesser content of self-help. I say lesser content because a lot of people are preaching self-help psychological therapy, motivational speaking. This isn't preaching. This is about, that's about humanism. That's about man. Preaching is about Christ. Are you with me? Preaching is about Christ. And we need Christ. And the longer we look at Christ, the better we see ourselves. The longer we look at Christ, the clearer we see ourselves. Sometimes we think we need to take another look at ourselves. How many looked at yourselves enough today? But we need to take, sometimes we think we need to take a longer look at myself. The more I look at myself, the more I see my imperfections. The more I look at Jesus, the more I see how he can change me and what he wants to do and how beautiful he is. So preaching doesn't have to seek the lesser content of self-help, psychological therapy, motivational speaking, because the riches of the wealth we have in Christ are inexhaustible, they're unsearchable. The unsearchable riches of Christ, the inexhaustible riches of Christ. So there's the content, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse number 9, the revealed mystery of the church. Jason Myers says the mystery of the word in Scripture is stewarding and heralding God's word in such a way that people encounter God through his word. How about you, but in preaching, we need to encounter God. We don't just need to encounter a sermon. We need not to just encounter one another, but encounter God. Connect with God. Think about what God wants. I hope that our affections change when we hear preaching. I hope that our perspectives change when we hear preaching. I hope our desire is to be more like Christ. That is what God wants in our lives. God made Paul a steward of the mystery with the responsibility of sharing it with the Gentiles. It was not enough simply to win them to Christ and form them into local assemblies, he was to teach them their wonderful position in Christ as members of the body, sharing God's grace equally with the Jews. And while Paul is conveying that, what he's a unique steward of, 
He's also revealing whatever preacher is a steward of as well. Not only are we stewards of the gospel, but we're wonderful stewards in preaching to God's people their wonderful position in Christ. You know, it's important that you be reminded of who you are in Jesus. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that you're loved? Do you know that you're accepted? Do you know that you're an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ? Boy, there's a lot of things that we believe about ourselves that just are not true because we're hearing them in the world. But there is something that is wonderful that the Word of God, the Gospel reminds us of who we are in Jesus. We cannot get to the imperatives before we understand the indicatives. We need to understand why we do what we do. If not, we'll stop doing them. Are you with me? We will not continue to do what we need to do or what the Bible commands us to do until we understand the indicatives, why we do them. Why are we doing what we're doing? Because of who Jesus is. Because of who we are in Christ. How many like me, you don't always feel like who God says you are? You don't always feel like who God says you are. Sometimes fear, anxiety, things set in and we're often distracted from who God says that we are. How many know that it's important that you embrace the fact that He's your Father and you're His child? Boy, that is one, the number one priority in our lives. I need to be His child. And what does that call me? Well, He's my parent. I need to obey Him. I need to love Him. I need to follow Him. That is a God-given role. If you're a believer tonight, God gave you that. You were born again, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God has placed you into His family. How many believe that that was purposeful, that God has a unique plan for your life? Here's the question. Are you living out that unique plan, or you think that it's over? Are we just waiting around for Jesus to come back and give us a new command? Or do we have busy things that are yet to be done, and that's why He's tarrying? Do you think there's more work to be done, church? Is there more that needs to be done? Are you at this place in your life where you say, well, I did all that I was going to do, and let me just step back and let somebody else do it. Are you serving the Lord? Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving God? Are, are we actively pursuing the calling that God has placed on all of our lives? He has not called us all to be pastors. He's not called us all to be teachers, but He's called us all to be servants of God. Are you with me? And we all have a responsibility before God. Preaching reminds us of who we are in Jesus so that we can launch out into what He's called us to do. Verse 10, the content of the preaching, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the revealed mystery of the church, the manifold wisdom of God. The reason many churches are weak and ineffective is because they do not understand what they have in Christ. And the cause of this is often spiritual leaders who are not good stewards of the mystery. Not good stewards of the mystery. Because they do not rightly divide the word of truth. They confuse their people concerning their spiritual position in Christ. And they rob their people of the spiritual wealth in Christ. I do not want you to think for a second tonight that somehow your job is to make God love you by doing good things. I know that that would put us in a position that God does not put us in as believers. We're not trying to put ourselves into the love of God. We're embracing the fact that God does love us. And we cannot make Him love us. He's already, how many believe He's already set His love on us? He's already chosen to love us. He has because He is good, not because you and I are good. 
And sometimes we get that all messed up. We're going through our week and we're trying to please God, please God, please God, please God, please God with all of these actions. And we stop and don't think, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Jesus is the pleasure of the father and we are hid in Jesus. We're in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Why are you pleasing to God? Because you're in Jesus and God is pleased with his son. Boy, we need to capture that. Because we're so busy sometimes trying to do things to please God, like like we're trying to serve um, a, a fleshly master instead of a loving, gracious, merciful father. This great truth concerning the church is not a divine afterthought. It's part of God's eternal purpose in Christ, verse number 11. It's his eternal purpose. To summarize in a statement then, the content of grace-filled preaching is to declare the character we have received from Christ. Number one, to declare the character we have received from Christ. And number two, to define with clarity who we are in Christ. The content of preaching is, number one, to declare the character we have received from Christ and define with clarity who we are in Christ. That's important. Because if we believe who we are in Jesus, we will act accordingly. Are you with me? If we believe who we are in Jesus, we will act accordingly. But you're not going to act yourself into belief. You have to believe. You have to have faith. You have to believe what God says about who you are in Jesus. Notice verse 16, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then lastly, number three, what is the consequence of preaching? We said the character of the preacher and the content of the preaching. But what is the consequence of the preaching? The consequence of the preaching is that we would not be consumed with self, but be consumed with God. We would not be consumed with ourselves, but be consumed with God. We have to be careful when we sing that we're not consumed with ourselves. Because sometimes when we sing, I like this song, I don't like this song. I, I enjoy this, I, don't, I, I want it to be more. Sometimes when we sing, we're so focused on ourselves that we're never truly pointing our worship to God because it's about pleasing ourselves. It's about what I like, about what I enjoy. Instead of thinking, I need to do this because, number one, by the way, God has commanded all of us to praise and worship Him. Are you with me? We don't praise and worship Him because we feel it. We praise and worship Him because we believe that it pleases God, and He calls us to do it. He wants us to do it. The consequence of the preaching is that we're not consumed with self, but we're consumed with God. The more I'm consumed with self, the less I see of God. The more I'm consumed with God, the less I see of myself. Who needs to be seen less, God or you? It's a good question, right? Who needs to be seen less, God or you? We need to not be so consumed with ourselves as about how we feel, about how it impacts me, about what's going on in my life, about whether I'm getting what I need. or this. And we're so focused sometimes on self that we never get consumed with God. And that's why grace, spirit-filled preaching is supposed to cause us not to be consumed with ourselves, but to be consumed with God. Since the character of the preacher is to be humble, the content of the preaching is to be honest, 
the only natural then for consequence of the preaching is to be holy. And an embraced purpose. Notice he says in verse number 11, it's a calling. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he embraces the purpose. Have you embraced your purpose in Jesus? If you're embracing it, you're believing who you are, that God has saved you with a purpose, and that purpose is not just so that you could go to heaven. Did you get that? That God has saved you with a purpose, and that purpose is not just so that you get to go to heaven. We have to be careful when we preach the gospel that we don't make that the carrot on the end of the stick to people. Are you with me? Who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Who doesn't want to go to hell? Raise your hand. Well, did everybody that raised their hand, now do they believe the gospel and they're going to heaven? Because they don't want to go to hell? Listen, I don't know anybody with a sense in their brain that say, yeah, I want to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven, and nobody wants to go to hell, but that is not the motivation of the gospel. The gospel is not scare you with hell and allure you with heaven. The gospel is allurement with Christ, with Jesus, with who He is, with the person of Jesus Christ. And we have replaced an allurement with Christ with a mansion over the hilltop. Are you with me? That I want a mansion. And you know what we're thinking? Beverly Hills. I hear people talk about heaven like we're all getting a mansion. I hope that you understand that that is not what the context of the Word of God is saying when it says He's preparing a place, a mansion for us. It doesn't mean that He's giving you Beverly Hills. How many know that God is not rewarding us with the things of this world because they are corruptible? He's rewarding us with incorruptible things. And in heaven, gold is what we walk on. It's pavement. It is meaningless. It's not about our material possessions. We won't care. There's not a need for a son. And I hope that you understand at the end of Revelation, the most wonderful thing that happens is heaven comes down to earth. And that we have this new creation and that we are dwelling the way that God originally intended for us to dwell. He makes everything new again. And it's not about us and it's not about our rewards and it's not about... Listen, I think sometimes people think they're lining their trophy cases. Like I'm getting rewards in heaven. And when we read rewards, when we read that in the English, we're saying, oh, that means God's going to give me a bunch of trophies. Like, I'm going to be standing in heaven and people are going to be lining up to thank me and people are going to give me a bunch of trophies and I'm going to get all kinds of accolades. It's going to be somehow the Christian red carpet and the Oscars. And we're going to get our rewards and we're going to get, because we suffered so much for Jesus Christ. Heaven is about Jesus. It's about who He is. It's about being with Him. And all of that stuff that we think about as valuable won't matter to us then. We're not going to care about that stuff. But sometimes... We dangle the carrot in front of lost people like you're going to get in the end all the things in this world that you want. And that's not heaven. And that's not the gospel. That's not what God is saying. And that's not what the Bible teaches. There's an embraced purpose. There's an increased hope. There's a calling, but there's also a confidence in whom, verse 12, we have boldness and access with what? With confidence by the faith of him. What gives you confidence? Faith in God. Trusting in yourself is not going to give you confidence. Believing in yourself is not going to give you confidence. How many believed in yourself and as a result of that, you're a mess? The more I trust in myself, the more I find out that my heart is desperately wicked, that my heart can't be trusted, 
that my heart is not what I need to listen to, that my, uh, my desires, my flesh, that desires to do what it wills, is not the voice that I need to be hearing, but rather I need to yield my members as instruments of righteousness to God. I need to die to myself every day and have confidence by putting faith in God. What does the Bible tell us? The just shall live by his faith. Are you living by faith? Are you walking by faith? Or are you walking by sight? There's a calling, but as a result of the calling, there's confidence. And then there comes a strengthened endurance or courage. Verse 13, that you faint not. That you faint not. How many agree with me today that too many Christians are fainting? They're fainting. I understand that it is not easy to live the Christian life, but God never called us to do it in our own strength and power. And when we do, we will faint. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and what? Not faint. What is God saying to us? He's telling us the importance that we need to embrace is that the inward man is renewed day by day through the Lord Jesus Christ and God does not intend for us to live the Christian life in our own strength and power. How many know you will fail and you will faint if you try to do it in your own power? In the flesh, there's failure. In faith, there is success. There's victory. There's courage. He says that you faint not because of the tribulations. He's talking about, did Paul go through some tribulations? He went through some tough stuff. Some of you are going through some tough stuff, and if you're not, you're going to go through some tough stuff. But when we are faced with those tribulations, we don't need to faint because God is with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil, for thou art with me. Do you believe God's with you tonight? Do you believe He's going to be with you when you walk out the door tonight? Do you believe He was with you when you came in tonight? We didn't come in to meet with God. God is not in the building. God is in your heart. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes there's such a focus on being in a specific place. It saddens me when Christians make a building, a location, Mecca. Like, I got to go to a certain church or a certain place, and it's got to be this style, it's got to be this way, and it's, I haven't experienced God unless it's been done like this. That's, that's the same thing as charismatic stuff. That's the same thing as I've got to have things a certain way. We've got to sing the right songs. We've got to shout the right way. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And we've got to stir ourselves up in this way in order to experience God. Listen, you can experience God in the stillness, in the quietness of your room. You can experience God in your car. You can experience God when you go out there. And by the way, because of that, we should experience God when we come here. Because we're coming together for the purpose of worshiping God. And embrace purpose and increased hope, a strength and endurance, a courage. How many need courage tonight like me? I need courage. I need courage. It is not easy. We need courage. I'm going to fail if I don't get his courage. I want to be strong and have a good courage. The kind of courage that God gives, not the kind of courage that we drum up in ourselves. And then lastly, the consequence of preaching, an embrace purpose and increased hope, a strength and endurance, calling confidence, courage, a deepened love commitment. A deepened love commitment. Verse number 19. It's in the passage. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. How are we filled with all the fullness of God? By knowing the love of Christ. 
When I know the love of Christ, I'm filled with the fullness of God. The more I know about His love for me, the more in return I love Him. The more in return I love Him, the more I yield to Him, submit to Him, and are filled with Him. Doesn't it require submission to be filled with the Spirit? You can't be filled with the Spirit without submitting to the Spirit. And be not drunk with wine. Don't be under control of anything else. But be filled with the Spirit of God. It's a command to all of us. Are you with me tonight? Are you filled with the Spirit? Maybe why we're not having the prayer life that we should have or the, the successes that we should have or the courages we should have is because we're not filled with the Spirit of God. And it's available to us, isn't it? But it requires submission, commitment, a deep love. The highest grace of preaching is encountering Christ, to know and adore Him and enjoy Him as our greatest treasure. There is no greater treasure than Jesus. There is none. He is, He said to Abraham, I am thy exceeding and great reward. And guess what? He says to you tonight, I am thy exceeding a great reward. There is no greater treasure than Jesus. This significantly changes our perspective and experience of preaching. That Christ is the one that we need. Let me ask you this question. We're done tonight. What if you came to worship next time, not looking merely to hear some preacher, but to encounter Jesus? If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.